0: Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. In today's message, Pastor Jim uses a familiar reference that you will relate to—storms. No one is free of these metaphorical storms in their lives, but why is it that some people seem better equipped to handle them? The answer is simple—focus not on a fad or a vice that you find temporarily comforting, and certainly not on the problem itself. Pastor Jim says that what you focus on grows in your heart. If you see people handling their storms well, then you can be confident that they have chosen to focus on God. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Psalms chapter 3 as he begins his message, Shelter from the Storm.
1: Did you ever tell someone about some trouble that you were having or a fear that you had in your life, and they just totally trivialized it? They just they didn't, even, didn't even seem to make a difference to them. They say something to you like, well, you just need to forget about it. You know, there's some things in your life you will not ever forget. That's just the reality of it. Other people will say, well, it'll pass. Maybe, maybe not. Or the classic, oh, 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 I know someone who had it way worse than you. Way worse than you. I just want to just make one comment on all of those things. First of all, we probably shouldn't be making them. Second off, if they're a counselor and they're telling you that, do not pay them, okay? Just make sure that stop payment on the check or whatever, because that is not good counseling. I've said to our church many times before, One thing about the Bible is the Bible does not trivialize our troubles, our fears, or our anxieties. The Bible doesn't deny them. The Bible doesn't make you feel like a faithless, useless, or inadequate follower of Jesus. If you're here with us today or watching online, listening on the radio, not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you are with us indeed. The Bible takes your pain and your anguish Seriously, your worries, your anxiety is important to God, even if the pain is self-inflicted, even if what you did brought about the circumstances. So the Bible shows us real people with real pain. The Bible shows us sometimes people with imagined pain and problems that keep people up at night or wake them up in the middle of the night. You ever wake up in the middle of the night with all the stuff you're remembering? You couldn't remember it all day long, and then all of a sudden you remember it. People with consuming problems that they just can't seem to escape, they can't get them out of their mind. They just keep circling around and around and around. And the Bible even deals with all of the naysayers in your life. The people are saying that you're kooky or you don't know what you're talking about or you're not trusting God and all the fools that will surround you in the midst of your troubles. In the Psalms, we see how the Bible writers deal with these things. And so today I want to give a shout out to some people who some of you have no idea who he is, although the music today is same music when I was a kid. But shout out to Bob Dylan for today's sermon title, Shelter from the Storm." Shelter from the storm. Some of you, like, you're digging it, man. You're already got, I'm gonna give you shelter from the storm. Like, come back, come back, okay? So, Psalm three, the heading. Remember, the heading is part of the psalm. Not that your Bible throws in there. Like, why do they have to throw, I don't know why they have to throw another one in when God gave us one. Like, you think yours is better? You're kidding me? It says, a psalm of David. Now, let's stop right there. Who is David? He is the anointed king of Israel. God's anointed king. You've got to keep that in the back of your mind anytime you read his Psalms. A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. So, Absalom, his son, is his enemy, his own son, trying to steal the kingdom from his father. David did some stuff that was stupid, but this is about a thousand years before Jesus lived. So in the Psalms and in the rest of the Bible and in your life and in mine, it's very common to see this fact. Has this ever happened to you that trouble has triggered prayer? (laughs) Trouble has ignited prayer? All of a sudden you weren't praying and then something happens. You're like, are you kidding me, God, help, help. And here's the thing about God. I love this about him. I never got the impression that God has ever said this to me. So Jim, is this what it took to get you to pray? Like, where where have you been? Where have you been? No, I think he's just like a happy father when their kids come running to them. Just glad to see them welcoming. Come sit on my lap. Let's talk. And this trouble was of King David's own making. He made a lot of mistakes as a man, as a father. If you want to read about them, taking notes, 2 Samuel chapters 11 through 19. Sometimes you'll read them, and then you read the Psalms, and you're like, there's an inconsistency between this guy and the way he lives sometimes. Couldn't that be said of all of us? And now King David's own son was trying to take away the throne from him. Now, if you've been around the church for any length of time, Absalom is a common nickname for traitors in the church. If you ever say, oh, that guy's an Absalom, that's what it means. That means they're a Traitor. And almost all leaders, including pastors, will at one time or another experience someone speaking evil or lies about them behind their back. And sadly, there will be people who will believe it. People that, you know, you'd be very, very shocked. In fact, yesterday I was at a wedding and somebody was asking me about that because they're going through that right now in their own church where they're. Now in leadership, and some people have said some things about them, and so we talked about that for a bit. Proverbs eighteen seventeen says this very very important. Now this is this verse will save you a lot of heartache. The first one to plead his cause seems right. Stop right there. The first person who comes to talk to you, you go. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. I get it. I get it. Did you ever think they may be lying? You, well, you should think that. You should just say, well, I appreciate that. I, I'm sorry that you're going through all this. I, I can't render any kind of a judgment on this because I don't know what's going on. I'm willing to listen to you, but I don't know what's going on. And it says, so the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes along and examines him. The idea is like a picture of courtroom. Somebody says, well, this is what happened. And then the next lawyer comes up and says, well, let me just ask you a few questions. And then it comes, turns out, well, maybe they're not exactly telling the truth. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Very important to get both sides, lest you be the fool. And this is what was going on. Absalom was telling people lies about his father. David was running the kingdom. Absalom was at the gate saying, well, you know, if I had a guy like you, I would be using you in the kingdom. And so that's what Absalom was doing. And so here's some clues to know if maybe you're being lied to by an Absalom. I'll just give you two. One is they puff you up. They tell you how wonderful... You are. It says in the Bible that Absalom stole the hearts of the people because he was doing what? Just trying to undo his father. What was David doing? He was working. Number two, and this is a more modern one, is they will ask you for money. Or, that's a two-parter, or they will skillfully get you to offer them money without asking you for money. That's how good the Absaloms of the world are. in Psalm three, uh, David's prayer is that he is because he's in trouble. perhaps he thought he had been on the run from Saul before he was the king. He was the anointed king, but Saul didn't want to give up the kingdom. and perhaps he thought life would be easier being the king. Not so. Maybe you thought life would be easier being the boss, and you have found not so. Many people who used to follow Jesus no longer do. They used to attend church pre-COVID, then they didn't. They thought life would be easier after COVID. The trouble would be over, and they have found out not so. So maybe this prayer is for you. Maybe this prayer is for you today. Maybe this prayer is for you tomorrow. That's why we've been calling this series, Finding the Heart of God in Difficult Days. Now, it is true many of us will not face some of the trials that King David did. That's, that's not really the point. The point is we will all face trials, and I think what we really need to learn from him is his expectations of God. That is the point and the character of God that he puts his trust in in the middle of this storm that he is in. So if you're taking notes, there's four things. It's really, really just one reality followed by three points, but I'll just, we'll, we'll name them one through four. Number one, when everything is falling apart in the storm. Everything is falling apart in the storm. Psalm 3, verse 1 and 2. Lord, that, that's the word Yahweh, how they have increased who trouble me. So the amount of people that Absalom is, is gaining, is recruiting, is growing. Many are they, and some versions say my foes or adversaries, who rise up against me, let's stop right there. What is he saying? He's saying every, everything is against me, everyone is against me, people is against me, every circumstance is against me. Verse two, many are they who say of me or say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. I've seen in the Bible. What does that word mean? Well, remember we said that the Psalms were sung a lot of times in the temple, And so the Selah is a pause in the musical presentation of the Psalm or the instrumental, or maybe just for the Bible reader, just pause and think about that. Now the word many probably really hurts David here. Many are against him, many don't care about him, and they even say included in that many is God in verse two. No matter where he looks for help in the situation, And right now, it's okay to think about yourself. To think about yourself, you're in a situation and no matter where you look, you can't seem to find any help. Maybe you've gone to doctor, to doctor, to doctor, or to counselor, to counselor, to counselor, or to person, to person, to person. You can't find any help. The more he looks, the more it gets overwhelming, and the more it gets demoralizing. And I'm sure almost every one of us knows what it's like to feel that way. Maybe you feel that way now. It's a very common thing. The Bible doesn't make fun of it, the Bible deals with it. Even some of those he thought were his friends who after they had done with King Saul, who was a terrible king, now they had King David. King David was expanding God's kingdom And he thought some of these people were with him on the mission of God. And what happened? God didn't steal their hearts. Absalom stole their hearts. Now, God knows all this, right? It's not like he's going to God, telling God something he didn't know. He's like, oh, Dave, thanks for telling me that, man. I really appreciate that. He didn't say that at all. Yet somehow, King David, and please catch this. Somehow, King David realizes, King David knows that dumping it all on God helps King David deal with the situation. Can I say that again? Dumping it all on God somehow helps King David in dealing with the situation. That is so key to the Christian life. Verse two is absolutely crushing. The people say, there is no help for him in God. Another version says, God will not deliver him. So people are saying that to you. Well, God's not gonna help you. you know, no help for you and God. That would be easy for your fear to increase, wouldn't it? And let's think about what they're saying. It's not that they're saying God can't help you, It's they're saying God won't help you, that God won't do this. Why should he? You did this to yourself. Basically what happened was what set Absalom off was his sister Tamar was raped and David did nothing about it. He did nothing about it. And so the case could be made easily. David hears that and he could be like, well, I don't understand how God wouldn't help me. Because he's, I made this mess myself. This is, verse two, what we call a weapon of words. And I know that some of you grew up with that. Some of you grew up with someone with a parent or, or a sibling who was just constantly putting you down. Constantly filling your head with you're worthless, you're nothing. Let me remind you that Jesus thought enough of you to die on a cross for you. And we all fight this at times in our lives, some of these things that people have said to us. And perhaps King David started to believe it because before this, the Lord said to him in 2 Samuel 12 that calamity would come from your own family. And it was because of his actions that he had taken. So what do you do? What do you do when it's your fault or when people are telling lies? or when you think maybe you do deserve this, or you think that God's not going to help you, what do you do? Let's say it again. You cry out to the God that people say wants absolutely nothing to do with you. You say, well, why do you do that? Because it's a big, fat lie. That's why. You cry out to him. Now, in verse 2, the enemies use the name Elohim, That's the generic name for God. In verse one, David uses the name Lord or Yahweh, the Old Testament covenant name of the Lord. In the New Testament, we use the similar terminology of that word is Abba or Father. So what is King David doing? He's appealing to Yahweh. He's appealing to his heavenly Father. If you're careful in your Bible reading, and I know this is not the easiest thing to catch, that name, Yahweh, that covenant name of God, is a name that the Bible writers don't like to put in the mouth of unbelievers. You're not going to see that word a lot. They'll use that more generic word of God. They're like, he doesn't, the unbelievers, the Bible writers, don't even deserve to use that word because he's not that, he's not their heavenly father. Now that might seem like Bible geek stuff to you. It's not. You see, God wants nothing to do with that fear in our lives. It's false that he wants nothing to do with you. So the text and the fear that God wants nothing to do with you can be big in your life. And so he says, selah, pause, breathe, breathe. So when you see that in the Psalms, stop and go, okay, why did he say that? Why does he want me to stop? And actually think about that. And whatever it just said, preach it to yourself. Say it out loud. And now David, having done that, changes direction. That's number two. God wants to meet with you in the storm. Even if it was your fault, he wants to meet with you. Verse three, but you, O Lord, Yahweh, are... Three things. One, a shield for me. He says, you are around me, right? See, God wants to be with you, wants to meet with you in the storm. The idea is you cover me, Lord. Two, you are my glory. And three, the one who lifts up my head, you deliver me. You are with me. You're meeting with me in this. Verse four, I cried out to the Lord with my voice, The Bible writers often speak loud to God. We don't do that. Maybe we could learn something from them. I would encourage you when you read the Psalms to read them out loud. If you're struggling in your prayer life, go to the Psalms. The Psalms will teach you how to pray, but they say it out loud. There's something about saying something out loud, maybe because it's coming out of your mouth and it's going back into your ears versus that that quiet kind of, thing that we do, that doesn't mean that's wrong, but it's good to pray out loud. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me, or some verses say he answers me from his holy hill. That's the place of sacrifice. David is a long way off from there now. Selah. Think about that. Think about that. Perhaps King David is lying awake, trying to fall asleep, the lies are swimming around in his head. And all of a sudden, God shows up, meets him, and the lies give way to the truth. So what does David do? He, he turns his attention away from his enemies to the character of God. David realizes that he is surrounded by the Lord. That the Lord has loved to come and meet with him in his distress And he says, you are a shield. Lord, you are a protecting God. You are a sovereign God. Sovereign means God is in control. Or we say, he's large and in charge. Possibly it comes down to this. Another, I think, important principle. Whatever you gaze at will grow larger in your heart. Whatever you gaze at will grow larger in your heart. Yesterday at the wedding, I did something I've never done before. Uh, I was at ground level. I've done that before. And the groom is very close with his mother. And she was sitting there and she was sort of, you know, just like, oh. And I had met her, lovely woman, before the service while we were waiting for them to come in. And I just said to her, come here. And I grabbed her hand and I said, as the bride was walking down, I said, why don't you share this moment of joy with your boy? And the two of them are just like, (sighs) whatever you gaze at, whatever your eye is upon, that will grow larger in your heart. And if it's God, you will come to realize that life becomes more manageable, even in the storm even in such a difficult time. It's a beautiful thought. It's kind of like Moses sending the spies, if you know the story, into the promised land. Sent a bunch of guys in. First group of guys come back. Oh, we can't go in there. There's giants in the land. What were their eyes on? The giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb, they said, we have the Lord, we could take that place, no problem. What were their eyes on? The Lord, they had gazed upon him. David says, you are my glory. You see how valuable he is to, the Lord is to King David. He says, they can take away my glory, they can take away my kingdom, but I know they can never take you from me. And that's what matters most to me. The glory of God I have found shows up exactly when it's needed. I think this is something that, you know, I, I just think about. I think we may get some little taste of it when we sing. That's why I would encourage you to, to sing. We always say the singing is always much better after the service than it is before the service. But, but come in ready to sing. I mean, I think a lot of people just roll out of bed and get dressed and come to church and don't give much thought to the Lord. But come in ready to sing, and then if you do taste a little bit of the glory of God, when you experience it in life on your own, you'll know what that is. You'll be like, ah, oh, this is what it is. He's here. And David then says, you are the one who, who lifts up my head. That is, you are a restoring God. You are a delivering God. David is confident in God. Now Absalom and his attacking the Lord's anointed leader crowd They lift up their own heads in pride and arrogance. David is asking God to lift up his head and Absalom will absolutely crash and burn. That's what happens when you go against God. Yet I wonder how many of his followers were willing to admit their sin that going against the Lord's anointed King David, that they were actually finding themselves going up against God. In verse four, King David seems to come to an acceptance of the situation. Yes, sin does beat us down. Our own sin and the sins of others does beat us down, but God lifts us up. And David says, I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him. He wanted to meet with him. And it said from, from his holy hill, that's the place where God rules. That's, Absalom doesn't rule from there. And the Absaloms of the world, Do not rule from there. And even though King David had left the city of God, he left in a hurry, he was on the run, he left Jerusalem, David knows his desperate prayers are heard by the Lord anywhere he goes because he knows that the Lord delights to meet with his people wherever, wherever. Seems to me in verse three and four, he says, I know my God I know he wants to be with me and to meet with me in the storm, despite the opinions of other people. But nor is David ignoring his circumstances. It's real, it's happening, and he is proactive in his prayer. And again, once again, the, the, David prays out loud like the Bible writers often do. And as he prays out loud, somehow he seems
0: at peace. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed By Love and share it with a friend or neighbor Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world, and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.